0: Welcome to Leadership Reimagined. I'm Dr. Jane Lovis, your host. During each episode of Leadership Reimagined, we take a look at leadership from the vantage point of what it's going to take for leaders to lead their organizations forward into a new future. And in this episode, we're creating that new future. Today, I'd like to welcome Elena Percival, the CEO and co-founder of Women Who Code. Under Elena's leadership, the organization has grown to serve 290,000 members in 134 countries. Elena is an accomplished tech speaker, appearing at WSJ.D Live, Code Motion, Milan, Grace Hopper, Columbia University Social Enterprise, and more. She's also been published by Forbes, Huffington Post, and the Wall Street Journal. Alana holds a master's in organizational management and an MBA. She's also an angel investor, a venture partner at Valor Ventures, serves on the board of ATL Family Meal, and is a CodePath advisor. Along with her two sons, she loves hiking, and has been to more than eighty countries. Welcome, Elena!
1: Wow, I'm so,
0: I'm so excited to have you here.
1: <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm honored to get to represent Women Who Code on your show.
0: Oh, this is this is great. Like I was, I was sharing a little bit before. I come from a technology background. I was a software developer in the I, I mean, I almost hate to say this, um, in the eighties and the ni- early nineties. And, um, so I know what it's like to be the only woman in the room <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we want more women coding. So tell me, tell me what, how you got this started and what brought, brought this to you?
1: Oh, um. So I, I I get to be uh, part of this, and uh, how kind of everything came to fruition was um, was a journey. I I personally started my career off in more traditional industry. So I had my first uh, real job at Puma, the shoe company, and while I had a little bit of um, you know technology product management experience there. Um, I was still very much in a a traditional company. And then I had a little bit later on this opportunity to move out to the Bay Area. And it was one of those... Cities, you know, San Francisco is one of those cities. If you get a chance to go, it was on my list to just move there. And so I did, and I went out there. And even though I'd had this really amazing career up until that point um, in the traditional business side and product world, um, it wasn't fully translating. You know, people kind of looked at me like, hey, um, how did Um, how did, you know, you haven't worked at Google or Facebook or, or, um, Microsoft and where's your, where's your tech background? So I started learning to code and I fell in love with spending time with smart women excited about and interested in technology. And I just started spending more and more time involved with it. And, um, my background in organizational management and community building really, helped to to build this incredible community and around that time the media started talking about teaching girls to code teaching women to code and this was an incredible lift that the that the industry uh, and the world needed, but we were women in the tech industry who were facing um, biases and, you know, leaving the workforce at a rate of fifty-five percent mm-hmm. at around that ten-year mark. And if we didn't uplift the individuals and the needs of the women in the industry. Um, we were asking women and girls to enter a broken industry that was going to push them out at a rate of fifty five percent that wouldn't have them represented in leadership, that would have them deeply un- underrepresented um, in the industry. And so the fastest way to create equality among women and girls in the tech industry was actually to support and elevate the voices of the women in this in the industry. So that's where really the the mission around seeing women excel. And their careers came about because we needed not only to talk about getting girls into tech and getting women into tech, which are very important, but without all three pieces of keeping women in the industry and elevating them, helping them overcome the bias so they can become the leaders that they have the skill and talent to become, that we're not effectively working. And it's one thing to open a door.
0: And if if people can't step through, if women can't step through and see and see that they belong to the whole picture of it, that that is so critical. And that's one, that's why I do this podcast so that we can share this because I'm on a mission to cause and elevate 1 million women leaders in technology by 2030. And I know I'm not doing it by myself. It's going to take all of us to do it. Other women to do their part and support, to go into the jobs and then support other women coming in with them. Yeah. And it's and going that, to take men.
1: Exactly. And to me, that's also what's so important about uh, people who are interacting with our our mission. And you know, that's completely aligned with what, what I'm trying to do. So we'll, we'll together reach that million. Um, yeah. But everyone who lives the mission and vision of Women Who Code to see women excel in technology careers, to see diverse women better represented as leaders and as technologists, everyone who who lives that, who brings that back into their company is going to be actively changing the face of the industry and creating a more equitable uh, workforce. And instead of putting barriers, taking them down. When you have a talented person who is spending of their effort overcoming barriers, you're not getting the best of them. You are likely to lose them. And for companies that need to have that put to dollars and cents, 50% of your talented women technologists are thinking of leaving right now. And if they leave, it's going to cost about $200,000 to replace them. And that it doesn't include opportunity costs of what they're building while employed with you.
0: I'm so thankful that you brought that up because there's, it's not, it's the right thing to do, to have equality and equity in who you hire and, and there's also financial incentives to have a di- very diverse workforce and to have everyone represented because Everyone brings different skills, and we need all those skills.
1: Yeah, the the data absolutely shows that um, t- diverse teams are smarter, more creative, and um, diverse uh, executive teams make more money. They see a yeah. stronger ROI, whether it's a startup or a Fortune 500 company. So there's there is that um, absolutely in, in addition to it just being the right thing, but also. Right now, the market is about a million engineers shy of its current needs in the U.S. alone. Mm -hmm. And that means we need to be nurturing and developing the talent um, that is in the industry so we don't lose them, um, nurturing and developing diverse talent to enter the workforce, because the people that we have, it's not enough. There's 50,000 new technology leadership roles that are going to be created in the next four years. And so that that isn't even, you know, just people leaving and jobs changing. These are new jobs. This is a growing industry. um, As you know, the Digital revolution is taking place and every traditional uh, industry and every traditional company is now a technology company. I um, am based in Atlanta and I was just speaking with someone, you know, when you think of Coca-Cola, it's a technology company. When you think of Delta, it's a technology company. When you think of CNN, it's a technology company. Every industry um, is, is a technology industry these days.
0: Yes. With that being short, employ talent, how do we create that pipeline looking at, because you don't want to be just looking at what you need today in your organization, but what do you need five years from now? And who are the people that are going to be filling those roles? And are they are they the best and the brightest, the right person for that role? And do they bring the company new ways of thinking, new behaviors? We can't keep doing what we're doing.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a good point. It brings us back to why should companies be doing this? Then the next generation is requiring companies to make these changes. And so, you know, I think the millennials, and when you think of millennials, uh, often I think people still imagine that they're like the young ones. It's they're, I think, 40, 42 and below is millennial now. That is a large chunk of the workforce. Yes. And then um, Generation Z is building on, on the idealism, uh, and requests and, uh, momentum of, um, of millennials to see companies change. And that's colliding with this time of global disruption where companies have an opportunity and have been forced. So they demonstrated they can change the way they do business dramatically. And as we're, putting practices in place as we are navigating what the world and what companies and what processes and procedures are going to look like in the future. Building those for equity is what companies need to be doing to um, to be planning ahead. Mm-hmm. And equity is, is by design. You can't just say, I want it. Um, you have to intentionally go back to the drawing board over and over again Examine the ways that you've failed each time and find new ways to succeed and take, uh, as one of my colleagues, um, Kim Bennett says, imperfect steps forward.
0: Imperfect steps forward and continue to look at what you've been doing that's and what's working and what's not working. And where is it that you're having that clear vision so that you know where you're trying to go. And then you just keep taking steps. We know when coding, we don't have everything perfect the first time. It takes time. It takes going over it, re-understanding, re-looking at what, what is it that you're actually trying to create and getting that clarity. And that's the level of thinking we need in our businesses. You know, what is the business there and what's it trying to create? I think what you're saying about the millennials brought forth a whole lot of new ideas and now you've got Gen Z coming in and they're just taking those ideas and they're blowing those up even. And companies found out during the pandemic, they really could pivot faster than they thought they could. And they're going to have to keep doing that because there's so much more mobility. It The door got opened. You can't close the door.
1: And you shouldn't yes, yes. <laughs> because it's it's opened up opportunities to company. You know, when I think of The remote workplace. um, You know, the amount of privilege it takes to live in New York or San Francisco or move there. If you are coming from a low income family, the first person in your um, generation to graduate from college, maybe you have stacks of student loans. The idea of moving to one of these cities um, where you can work for a top firm and have you know, the very best opportunities, that takes a lot of privilege. What this shows us is companies can hire in in cities where they were never hiring before, where there's amazing, talented individuals who, you know, by being able to live closer to home, by, um, you know, not having to choose between, you know, my job and my spouse's job, um, being able to have these these opportunities where they are is, you know, a tremendous asset to um, to companies and also to individuals in creating greater inclusion around around the world. And I I will echo that, and I hope that companies see that as they're creating their their strategies going forward. And I also hope that. Um, you know, the, the employees who've seen the benefits will say, no, we, we can do this now. And Mm -hmm. you have to, if you want to keep me Um, because women who could already pre pandemic, we'd surveyed our members and uh, paid leave and flexible work were two of the most important benefits that a job could, could offer to them. And so when you think of the level of flexibility that companies uh, have, um, had over over the past couple of years um, through through necessity, I think it's it's just a critical to capture things like that and k- keep digging deeper. You know, like okay, we've done this. Who are we still missing? What who who is not being seen anymore because of this, or who um, is now facing anew or uh, increased bias as a, a result of this, and so that's why you always have to um, work in a cycle are, around processes and um, look at them, you know, for opportunities to increase equity.
0: And when when looking at that, I love that. Look at who else is missing? Who who are we not reaching? What benefits don't we have that we might look at? As we as we move around, and as employees move around and have that flexibility, things get lo- do get lost in the shuffle, and and so you're right. You've, we really have to do this with a new level of intentionality. I I remember years ago going through a employee survey, and I was I was new at that at that company. And I thought, wow, this is really, they're asking some really good questions in this. And I i spent all this time and I was talking to somebody that had been there, I don't know, five or seven years or so. And they said, ah, they never do anything about it. And I was so disheartening because... They asked really good questions to think that you put out there that you want to know and then you do nothing with it is almost worse than not asking. And we really need the diversity and the flexibility in our organizations.
1: Just out of curiosity, what were some of those great questions that were being asked?
0: I don't even remember now. I just, I just remembered sitting there and and really taking the time um, to fill it out. And it was like one of my first jobs at a a large company. And I thought, oh, this is so great.
1: (laughs) I'm teaching in class uh, this semester at uh, Georgia State. So it's women lead in technology. It's very, um, very relevant. And so I had the opportunity last night to have kind of a discussion with my students and um, asking them, you know, what should leaders be doing to support, um, you know, women and intersectional um, women and of course, men of color. Um, and one of the things that came forward was really listening. Um, and what I'm hearing from you is actually, you need to, you need to build on it. You need to, um, make sure they know they're heard and, um, see the clear path for how, um, how the words and the, the leadership that, you know, these people are bringing forward and, and being willing to share with the company is going to create a path to action. And so I, 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 I hear that. I hear you. Um, and I think that's important now And I'll definitely bring that into my, um, my leadership.
0: Yeah. That, that not only it was real, it's important to ask the question and then make sh- Ensure that you're listening and that there's feedback Mm -hmm. because there was, in this case, there was nothing. It was everybody put the new people like me that weren't discouraged, submitted their forms. There was never any feedback, had no idea what other people suggested, what the company chose to do, you know, and it's, there is nothing wrong with asking 10 or 12 questions and picking one thing. There's nothing Mm -hmm. wrong with that. And when you don't share it back, then that's if that wasn't something that I was looking for, I might never see any notice that you did anything. And that could Mm -hmm. have been exactly what that that other person said experienced was whatever they put in never got implemented in any way, nor was there ever any feedback. Mm -hmm. So. I'd rather have feedback. Well, we weren't, were we are not doing, this is what we're doing and that we're not doing these other things um, than that voice of silence.
1: Yeah. I, I think that's um, that's very important. And at, at women who code um, we call it uh, taking you on the journey. So often um, it seems very clear to some People in the organization, mm-hmm. maybe the people who are leading a project or asking the questions in the circumstance, um, what will happen and what the what will um, be the outcome? But to to really, especially when it comes to um, kind of the maybe emotional labor or sharing up of, of personal experiences or ways that you can increase equity inside of the organization, really above and beyond, unless that's actually your job title. It's right. really outside of your role and responsibility, it's making sure that you're finding a path um, so that your, your company still knows or your team still knows um, that you are committed to continuing to take those imperfect steps forward and that you know, maybe this is the one thing, or maybe this is the six out of 12, um, that you're going to be working towards implementing, but, um, closing that feedback loop and Mm -hmm. also letting, letting other people, I, I, I'm also even letting other people know, um, what, um, other people saw as ways to improve, because you know what, they might ask that survey, again, a year later and everybody could double down and the company might say, oh, uh, we didn't choose that as a priority because only three people mentioned it. Right. But actually it's, it's clearly very important. And, you know, we moved imperfectly perfectly forward and now we can take another step forward.
0: Yeah. So true. And, you know, and, and that's why from a leadership, from leaders, it's so critical to share what's going on because especially in large organizations, there There's a whole layer of people that are not going to have any idea what's going on. If somebody, if it's not being made, if that's not a priority and and critical to disperse information in multiple ways, especially with a dispersed workforce, Mm -hmm. it's so easy for things to get missed. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that I am really passionate is share everything that's going on that you can Mm -hmm. I mean, there's times that you just can't. There's almost really no no such thing as oversharing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing that I always encourage people to do, and I know that you have a lot of um, uh, leaders listening to this, so hopefully they will join with me and en- encouraging their teams to do as well, is to share out what their needs and goals um, and wants are as employees, because um, someone might not even know that. You know, this is the career path that you want to take, and it's much easier for someone to be your advocate to help you get there Mm -hmm. um, if they know uh, what it is that that is burning you up inside, what it is that your heart is set on, or what it is that is making you unhappy. You know, your managers are there, your leaders are there to support you, and that's their metric for success. And Mm -hmm. so, um, knowing what your goals are is going to help people to help you. And especially women who put themselves forward a little bit slower that they get considered by companies a little bit slower. Putting this practice in place will be um, really helpful and a hopefully a cultural shift um, to create a little bit more Uh, equitable uh, forward momentum in, in your career once you're um, succeeding in it.
0: Yes. Yes. That is, that is oftentimes a blind spot for women is the assumption that everyone's going to see my good work that I'm doing and not sharing what you're doing and not sharing what it is that you want. You know, what's the, that next position that you want to be considered for. Um, and what would you then have to do to be considered for it?
1: Yeah, and and follow up on it too. Mm-hmm. Um, if you mention something a year and a half before a job actually opens up at your company, it might not be top of mind. So you have to say it again. Yes. Um, or if you see it in the roadmap that year, say it again. When yep. You have your annual check-in. Say it again. People want want to help you, but it it needs to. You need to help people connect the dots. There, yes. you are letting them know in advance they can. Help workshop what it takes to get there. Exactly. So, you know, yes. I I I want to be a director. All right, you're an individual contributor. Here are the the three uh, bands that you need to cross, and this is what I typically see people doing to cross each of these bands. And oh, now that I know this, um, I can start advocating for you.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, that's that's so true. Is is advocate for yourself. And support others to advocate for you.
1: Mm -hmm. Exactly. And then advocate for others once you are in (laughs) a position to do so. Yes. Or even when you're not in a position to do so. Honestly, I had a a young woman and one of Women Who Code's founding sponsors uh, get involved with the Women Who Code community. And she went to an executive in her organization. And she said, There's three women in our department, technology department, like, we need, we need to be changing this. And she was talking to a woman executive. And so she was someone who you wouldn't traditionally think was someone with power, but She got this executive to look up and say, oh, yeah, there's only three women. (laughs) We should be doing things differently. We should be investing in the community. We should be engaging in the community. We should be intentional and finding different pipelines to to hire from. Mm -hmm. It made a a huge change. And I actually just had a CTO about a month ago from a major uh, company say to me, oh, yeah, you know, the company that this young woman works for, you know, they this traditional company that this young woman works for, they've just done so much, like they've really done it right. And I'm like, yay! They're <laughs> they women who codes one of women who codes founding partners. We've worked with them for you know eight years now, and um, and yes, like they they've invested in the the community, and it's seen by the broader um, industry at this point, and. That's, that's really what it takes. You can't just say, Oh, you know, I'm going to hire with a quota that helps. Right. I'm, 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 I'm going to retain that's critical. I'm going to promote that's even more critical in creating these, these pathways. And then you know, shameless plug, investing in the communities that are nurturing the skills and leadership that you can hire from, like Women Who Code has 290,000 talented technologists in our community. Um, But if you're just, you know, posting a job with us or just reaching out, um, you're not authentically engaging in building up um, this technology community. And so companies, they they actually need to do that, whether it's women who code or other uh, focus um, communities that are marginalized, that are underrepresented. We are doing the work to help support, um, to help support the industry and um, support the individuals, and it, it is important piece of that hire, retain, promote, but then also um, give back to the community. That's going to be helping the women every step of the way in that cycle.
0: Oh, This is so great. This is so great. And our time is up. So what last thing, Elena, would you like to share?
1: Yeah. Um, Please consider um, joining Women Who Code if you're in the tech industry. If you hire technologists, please consider um, hiring and sharing your best jobs with the Women Who Code community and consider becoming a partner. So we're at womenwhocode.com or Twitter slash Women Who Code. Thank you. Well, have a great day. Thank you so much for having me.
0: You're welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us this week on Leadership Reimagined. I encourage you to take something that you heard today and apply it in your business. The key to progress is action and sharing. I'd love to hear what you accomplish. Email me at jlovis at and let me know. Speaking of applying it in your business, if you're struggling or looking to expand your leadership skills, let's talk. You can go to lovisconsulting.com that's L-O-V as in Victor, A-S-Consulting.com, and schedule a quick call with me. We need powerful, strong, compassionate leaders to solve the challenges we are facing today. Please subscribe on your favorite platform and share with your friends and family. Thank you for supporting us as we cause and expand 1 million women leaders in tech by 2030. Have a great week, and I look forward to seeing you next week.